When people engage with you as potential customers, what they're really looking for are results. What does your training business promise them? What can your training business programs deliver to them? If they pay money, what return on investment do they get for that money? And in the past, I've really gotten this wrong. I've made the mistake of throwing up a website I focused on my brand, my logo, hoping that people find the way to my door because they've found those things and they like them. I put time and money into a nice design and a lovely website with great functionality and videos and drop-down menus, etc., etc., only to find it doesn't really matter. It doesn't deliver anything. So that's the first realization. It's kind of hard to admit this, but people are not interested in your website. They're not interested in your logo or your branding. It's nice to have. They're not even really interested in your products or services. What they're interested in are the results they want. So what they're asking themselves is this. If I take this leap of faith in you and bring you, your brand, your trainers into my company and stand you up on front of my people, on front of my leadership team, my sales team, my management team, my tech support team, how do I know you will deliver? Where is the proof? And it's that last question that's really crucial to answer. The best proof that your training programs get results is proof that your training programs get results. What do I mean? I'm talking about a case study. What better proof than a case study? So today I'm going to give you a step-by-step guide on how to put together a case study and get this in front of the prospects, the kinds of people that are in the market for what you do. So they reach out to you for a conversation. This is episode 94 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, this is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the Training Business Podcast. This is the show for people like you and I, for freelance trainers, for training business owners, training consultants like us all around the world. And the goal of today's episode and every episode of the podcast is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. So thinking of what I said before the music, let me ask you a question. If I asked you right now to make a buying decision, what would you base that decision on? Let's imagine you're considering a holiday. Where would you start looking? Let's pretend you are looking for a hotel. I know it's COVID right now, it's pandemic time, but let's pretend you are in the market for a family holiday and a hotel. Where might you look? Well, you might simply look on Google, that's true, or Baidu if you're in China right now, or Bing, or one of many search engines around the globe. Or you might simply look on a hotel-specific website like tripadvisor.com or expedia.com or booking.com. So first of all, you would refine your search by particular criteria, wouldn't you? You know, a certain number of, of stars for that hotel or a location for that hotel beside the sea in a city, in the city center. Or you might look for hotels with a specific number of beds or even for hotel facilities. If you're feeling plush, you might look for a hotel with a spa or a gym 
or you might look for a hotel with a reasonable restaurant. Uh, you get the idea. So let's imagine you found a couple of hotels to consider. So these meet your criteria. I call this a product decision. You're looking at a range of features. You've got some things in mind, some kind of parameters, and we call this a product decision. But what do you do next? Well, what you probably would do is look at the reviews that other people have left. I call this a proof decision. So the product decision is looking for the things that pop into your mind in terms of what's important to you. It could be, as I said, a gym or a, or restaurants or some other facilities on site or location. But what you next do more than likely is look for the opinions of other people. This is the proof decision. And it's really remarkable how easily swayed that we are as humans by the opinions of other people, even people we've never met before. And in his book, The Science of Persuasion, Dr. Robert Cialdini called this the principle of social proof. And I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes of the podcast. And the concept is this, we are influenced, incredibly influenced by the opinions of other people, by the actions of other people, particularly by what people just like us think and do. We might look for products and services based on our you know, our product criteria, what we think is important, but we often make buying decisions based on the successful or unsuccessful purchases of others if the thing we're looking for is new to us. So if I know the hotel or the restaurant or, or the car brand or the coffee brand is something that appeals to me and I've made that decision in the past and every time I make that buying decision based upon that previous product decision, if I'm not let down, if my experience is consistently good, I don't need to look any further. But if the product is new to me, if I'm more, you know, if I'm honest with myself and I'm saying, I've no idea what I'm looking for here, I have no idea what um, what is good, what's available, well, I'm more than likely going to want to reduce the risk inherent in that buying decision by looking to the opinions of others. Does that make sense? I think you agree with me because it's something I do. I think it's something we all do when it comes to making any kind of purchase. And the more risky that decision, the more that the decision can reflect on us badly if it's made incorrectly, or the more that that decision incurs a cost if it's made incorrectly, the more likely we are going to look at others to kind of build a safety net around our decision, right? So let's now bring this into the world of training. Let's imagine that you work for a company and you are looking for a training provider because your team supervisors need some management training. I'm just making this up. Um, if you have a training provider in your mind, on your books, and you're happy with them, well then, more than likely, there's no search needed for now. But if you don't have a provider, you might look for a trusted referral that's something else you could do. And I think, I think back to a really early episode of the podcast, Andy Lopata talked about his book, Recommended, which is all about the principles of leveraging your network and other people's positive past experiences of your services and products to get referral to new business. But let's imagine that you don't have either current a current provider with whom you're happy nor have you any source of trusted referral or recommendation. So what's going to happen is you're more than likely going to depend upon the opinions of people you've not yet met. So what's 
less risky than depending on your own judgment? Well, it's depending on the judgment of others whose judgment you respect. And there's a site called uh, Find Courses, I should say, findcourses.com and findcourses.co.uk, where you can find lists of courses and the recommendations or feedback of other people. There are all kinds of websites out there where you can find recommendations and testimonials and opinions which will help you in your decision. But if I come across a case study which outlines how another company like mine, I'm thinking as a buyer here, if I can find a case study which outlines how another company just like mine has hired your training company and I've got the results I'm looking for, well, naturally, that's very, very interesting. In some respects, I'm going to stop looking because it sounds like this is the kind of thing that works. This is proof. Now, it's not completely what I would call level one proof because it's not something I've experienced personally, but by and large, I'm looking at the referrals, the testimonials, the confirmation of quality, comments left by other people, which suggest to me, particularly if those comments come from people I can find on LinkedIn, that suggests to me that this is a low-risk decision. And it's funny how many companies, training companies, market their services based upon what they say about their own services. And that's how web pages are typically written. What we do, what we offer, um, how you can avail of it, what it costs, the time we're running our next program, etc. I think if you can, it's always better to leverage what other people say about your services. So if you can put together a case study in such a way that people realize, one, you've done this before, two, you have achieved results before, and three, you have achieved results before for people like them or a business like theirs. And if you can do this, it's going to be less work for you and possibly a quicker decision for them. So why don't we today look at the steps to put together a case study for you. How does that sound? Great. I think you're going to like this. Step one is to look, and you can be very creative here. You can take out some uh, sheets of paper, large paper, or post-it notes. I'd like you to build a kind of a, a cloud of your past successes, a series of notes. No particular sequence here. Just think of all the past successes you've had. Pull out the ones where the results were the most transformative. And if you can, pull out from those qualitative data and quantitative data. What do I mean by that? So qualitative data would be data that is focused on people's human or emotional reactions. So great, great program. I love this. This was really powerful. My team made these breakthroughs. We came away with this, this, and this, and now we can do these things. That's wonderful. That that kind of commentary is really powerful because people make decisions primarily emotionally. We like to believe there's a business case or a sequence of logical steps to arrive at a decision, but frequently we make, as humans, decisions based upon a range of emotional criteria, and experts recognize this. So you kind of want to cover both bases here. You want, on the one hand, qualitative data, which includes people's feelings, their comments, the kind of before and after. 
And we'll come to that next, by the way. And the quantitative, quantitative data, if I can say that properly, quantitative data, which is the numbers and the statistics. And again, pulling out the before and after. This is the kind of gap that you've closed thanks to your program. So imagine, for example, that people are only answering, I'm thinking of customer service here, only answering every uh, call on the third or fourth ring. And you can say, as a result of the program, people now pick up a call every time within two rings, maximum three rings. Well, that's something to be proud of. And if that's something that the prospective buyer is interested in, and this is interesting, by the way, because you want to pull out statistics, which are those that kind of correlate to the problems and the expectations of your prospects. You're not looking to pull out any old quantitative data, qualitative data, or any old kind of data, you want to pull out data which is specific and correlates to the problems that prospects have. So again, step one, look at past successes, pull out the ones where the results were the most transformative, because again, as I said today, what people are buying for, or what people are looking for and buying are results. That's where they're shopping. Imagine they're in the supermarket of training business results. If they could reach up to the shelf and pull something off, what would they put in that shopping cart? And the answer is results, not products and programs, not workshops and uh, PDFs. They want results. That's why that this is step one today. Step two now is to build a story. So looking at this cloud of, of comments, of statistics, I'd like you to think of how you can build a story. And in storytelling, this is called the hero's arc. If you think of any... Uh, kinds of mythology, uh, Greek mythology, Indian mythology, um, African-American mythology, mythology, there is inevitably a consistent framework through all storytelling. And it's this, the challenge, the solution, the result. The, the greater the challenge, the more satisfactory the result. So the bigger the problem, the result looks more attractive when that challenge has been overcome. So think about what it was like from your prospect's perspective before you were engaged to help them, before you were engaged to train them. Think about the pains, the problems they had, the challenges they had, the shortfalls they had. And this is something you really want to focus on. If you're unclear, interview your prospects, interview your customers every single time before you train them because you want to capture that language so you can understand the gap that your program is going to close because the results will be exponentially greater the greater the gap you close. That makes sense, I'm sure. So map out the solution you've implemented. Walking through, this is the solution part, the middle part. The challenge are the pains, the problems. The solution is what you've done how you put this together. It could be on the basis of a report or some kind of, um, let's call it uh, uh, an initial sample. You did something to initially uh, try out a particular program, a kind of a dry run, and see what happens. And from that, you built the program out and people got these results and then it was rolled out to other departments and then these things happened. So whatever results you're getting, which is the last part, you're highlighting them. But the results on their own don't make sense. I know I said people are buying results, but what makes the results more attractive is the challenge. The challenge that you overcame the 
you know, the problems that you fixed, the pain that you solved, which makes the gain look really good. The solution, of course, the middle bit is what you did to achieve this, which in a way is helping the prospect to understand what they can expect in terms of an implementation from you. So the results could be things like a decrease in staff turnover, an increase in sales, an increase in customer satisfaction, an increase in bookings, uh, increased downloads of particular course uh, programs, whatever it is that the prospect, the likely customer, is selling. Or in the past, of course, what your prospect got in terms of qualitative and quantitative data as a result of your solution. So don't underestimate the power of a story. We are hard, hardwired, hardwired for stories. If you think of all human um, centuries, as, as long as people have been on this earth, we've loved storytelling. Ads, movies, songs, they're all crafted around a kind of a, a situation, a challenge, the solution, what happened, and the result that people got. So always try and build a great story into your case study because you're bringing people on a journey step by step by step sequentially, logically, but the outcome is emotional and that's the result. Step three then is to interview clients consistently. I'm always doing this as recently as possible. It's a good time to interview people before you actually engage them. You know, once they sign up, you you interview them, get all that language, understand the problems, get quotations to back up what you're going to do, what you're going to solve, how it's been agreed. And language is key here because these are the phrases to include in your copy, in your case study. Why? Because language resonates with people in the same role. So if you're, let's say, working with a pharmaceuticals client, you want to capture language which someone else whom you've not yet sold to would also use in the pharmaceuticals industry. If you're working with um, a tech business, again, there might be language acronyms, um, in-house kind of language that they would use and that someone else you'd like to sell this to would use. So language really helps people to understand each other. And when you speak like someone, just like them, it convinces them that you understand them. So interview clients before, interview clients during, interview clients after, A, B, C, one, two, three. Include the phrases they're using, capture that language, and include that in your case study, because this is going to build credibility. You obviously know what people like those people sound like, what they discuss, what's important to them. And this is confirmation in terms of your copy. That's the term copy. The copy is the wording that you write. And that has to resonate with the person reading your case study. If I'm in, let's say, the hotel business, and you're using terms from the tech business, well, that case study won't resonate with me because I don't know what it's like to be in that industry. I know what it's like to be in mine, and I want you to sound like you know, too, what it's like to be in mine. When you can confirm through referring to other customers just like me, that you understand people just like me, you're more than likely going to get business from people just like me. Okay? Step four is now to create several case studies. You might be thinking, well, why several? Well, thinking of what I've just said, you might, for example, you might not be a niche training business. You might have a product or service 
which can be applicable or of interest to a pharma company, a law firm, a tech firm, a construction business, maybe the government sector. If that is the case, you want to create case studies which are aligned with successful experiences with businesses and people in those industries, in those verticals. So you might, let's say, have a leadership program, which in the past has been successful in terms of delivering results to a pharma company, a law firm, a tech firm, a construction business, and so on. Great. If that is the case, you've got the basis for a case study in those industries. Now, you might not want to, you know, accentuate Uh, let's say, the pharmaceutical uh, case study because that's a one-off and your sweet spot is dealing with law firms or tech firms, then fine. Then only make case studies where you want to hunt for new business. But remember that if you want to step into a new business, more than likely people will look for proof that you have dealt with people like them. Now, if you're scratching your head thinking, well, I don't have any case studies, I'll come to that towards the end of today. Just bear with me for now. So, We're looking here at past experience where you have cases, confidently positive experiences with businesses, and you want to attract more businesses just like them. Then you want a case study specific to people just like them. So if you can, I'm sure you can at some point, think of examples when dealing with industries, specific industries, and make sure that the case studies resonate with people in those industries, the story, the challenges, the pains, the language, etc. So so that those case studies stand on their own and speak to people in those specific industries. Step five is now creative time. It's now time to put the text document together. I'm not saying the, the finished product because we're not there yet. Step five is to put the text document together. So maybe a, a word page for the title, and then a word page for the introduction, understanding, helping someone understand the story, the situation, the problem, the implication of that problem, and the need arising from that problem. So we're talking about the challenge here. So that could be a whole page on the challenge. The next page could be about the solution you implemented. We're not focused on the solution here, but we're using the solution page to clarify what you will do So people realize they're in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing and that this is a solution they will not argue with. Because if it works for X, why would I argue with it if it can work for me as well? And the result then, of course, are the results you get. They could be, again, a mixture of qualitative data, quantitative data. It could be a mixture of comments from people on the front line. It could be a range of things, but you're providing proof results that what you've done has actually achieved a benefit that that customer wanted. The last page then, which is page one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, actually, no, it's six, actually. Page six is the summary. The summary page, this is the list of the key points from this because people's brains love summaries. And the rule of thumb is no more, I would say, than three key headings here three key points, three key headings, three takeaways, because people's brains like things in one, two, three, ABC. So three key points, which people can digest and retain. The last page is page seven, which is the call to action page. So if you've done a good job of putting in front of someone a case study, which compels them, interests them, whets their appetite, gets them excited about the fact that you could get results 
for people like them, the obvious thing then is to give them somewhere to go, which could be to a landing page to download something else. It could be to a calendar page like Calendly or Schedule Once or a range of uh, providers like that out there or your Entreport page if you're using Entreport or your ClickFunnels page if you're using ClickFunnels or something else which gets them to the next step in the process. So it doesn't really make sense to excite someone and then to drop them. You want to get someone, you know, interested in, hey, this is great. You know, what else do you do? How do I contact you? How do I engage with you? How can we have initial initial conversations? So that next step has got to be obvious. You don't want to leave it to chance. If you want people to look at your YouTube video or, you know, or do X or Y, call it out for them. That's the CTA, the call to action which is your last page. So one more time, your title page is page one, the introduction is page two, the challenge is page three, solution page four, results page five, summary page, page six, and the last page is the call to action. Now, I'm not saying you have to have seven pages, you could do this in four, I've done that too. But it's up to you. I've come across someone actually in the last week who has 16 pages in a case study. The thing is to get feedback before you actually commit to designing this. I know you might be tempted to make this look pretty and stick in your logo and colors. We're not there yet. That's the next step. For now, you really want to put this thing together. So as a document in terms of content, it has a nice flow, both logically and emotionally. You might think so. Someone else may disagree. So it's a good time at this stage before you actually engage someone in designing this to show this to other people and get some kind of feedback. Feedback is crucial because you can then change things before you go down the path of designing things. Now, let's say you've got the feedback you're happy, you've got some feedback which helps you to understand that you've got to shorten some text or exclude some content or include some new content which you omitted, that's fine. Now we're ready to design. So we're going to do two things here. We're going to, first of all, make sure we're writing persuasive copy. Why am I underlining this? Because you may or may not find that writing is a strong point. You might want to download other case studies, plenty of them online, and mirror them. Look at the language they're using, the headings they're using, that kind of flow of how they're writing. So when we're writing to inform people, that's a completely different style than writing to persuade people. And that's actually one of the modules I cover when I'm working with sales teams. On the one hand, you're informing people, that's one style, but persuading people is a different style. If this is not your thing, if writing is not your thing, and I'm not the world's best copywriter either, there are plenty of people out there, people like Brian McMahon, many others out there, you can find them. They're not perhaps, uh, they're not inexpensive, they could be expensive, but if this is meaningful to you and you feel this case study or case studies will get results and those results are worthwhile and that worthwhile amount of money exceeds the the cost of copywriting, then you might want to look at this seriously. You could find people on LinkedIn with the title copywriter or peopleperhour.com or toptal, T-O-P-T-A-L.com or fiverr.com. And you could show those people examples of the case studies which impress you, the kinds of ones which will resonate 
with prospects, the kinds of people you want to attract as customers to your training business. Now, when it comes to the kind of layout side of things, you could download a theme from Envato Elements. That's E-N-V-A-T-O, Envato Elements. You can join up for a membership every month. I do that on a monthly basis. It's about 16 pounds or euros or dollars, something like that. Don't quote me on that, but uh, that um, I think is really, really worthwhile because I I can download all kinds of YouTube um, intros and outros and layovers and PDFs etc. But like it or not, you will find somewhere online a place you can download themes for your case study from Invato Elements, or you could even go into Google and do a search for something like case study templates. So having found that, you can give this to a designer on one of those platforms like TopTill or Fiverr or PeoplePerHour.com, and they will transform this then with your logo and your uh, links to your page or your landing page, your color scheme, etc. So that's step six. And finally, step seven is to get the thing out there. So what I mean is it's now time without focusing on perfection, because there's no such thing as a perf- perfect uh, case study, get this case study working for you. Create a landing page, send your connections, the right connections on LinkedIn, your case study, call people, by phone and offer to send it to them. Email it to them. Use your email list in your CRM. It could be Salesforce or Pipedrive or Close or whatever CRM you're using. But use this as marketing collateral because this is what people are buying. It's proof. And a nice tip I was given, and I use this all the time, is to offer to walk people through it over a face-to-face call or a Zoom call. Great, because people can then ask questions and you can fill in the blanks. You can give people confidence that you know what you're talking about. So this testimonial or case study can be the leverage or intro to a more productive, in-depth, detail-oriented sales conversation. Now, I mentioned to you the kind of uh, question you might have in your mind right now. What if I have no past results? Well, that's okay. I didn't at some point and some of us listening don't either. So what you could do is offer to do some training or coaching in exchange for a positive testimonial or as part of a case study. You could approach someone and say, look, I'm building my business right now. I'm just starting this up. I'm not doing this for free, but if I were to do this with your team or one or two of your team, would you do this in exchange for a case study? That's all I'm asking for. Not, I'm not doing this for free. I'm not asking you to buy anything, but I'm looking to increase my expertise. I'm developing a program. Uh, You'd obviously have to persuade them that you're not some complete newbie, but you've got some credibility, perhaps from a previous job. You're using this as a case study, being honest and upright and forthright with them about this, and they might say yes. And then you've got your case study. And I've done this before on one occasion, and it's worked very well. So it has to be obviously a trade-off. I don't believe in doing training for free. I said this before in a previous case study. But if you're clever with this, you can offer to do some training or coaching or workshops in exchange for a positive testimonial or taking it a step further, a video testimonial as well as a case study. And the person might even offer to field phone calls from people who like your case study and want to contact them for reference. So a case study ultimately is proof that you have what others want and that you can deliver what they want. And when you have actual proof, 
it's going to make your pricing strategy stronger because you can point out that the results that you can give exceed the cost of hiring you and your training programs. And that's really positive because if you're worried right now about price and this is too expensive, well, ask yourself, have I proof that what I've delivered in the past for people just like these people has exceeded the cost to them of my training program? Well, if that's the answer, you have got a ticket to get business. You've got proof, use it. Get your case studies together, articulate them, write them well, invest in their copy, their structure, their design, and then get them out there through a range of channels. So you now have an overview of the benefits of a case study. Today we've covered what to base it on, how to put this together, and the importance of getting it out there. Thanks to you, my listeners, for taking out time today from your busy day. It's a Thursday today if you're listening to this or at some point in the future. I like the fact that you're providing me with comments. I love feedback on these episodes. So please keep those suggestions and comments coming to me, mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read and reply personally to emails from you. You've got some great ideas for episodes and content. So please keep these ideas coming. It could be your favorite business authors, the kinds of topics you want to learn more about, If it's related to the training business, I want to hear from you and I'd love to hear your suggestions. There's a fresh episode next Thursday, but until then, look after yourself, your loved ones, stay safe, stay selling and keep on training. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.